definitely the first time we've ever done that. Play the intro to come into the show. Welcome back to all you creative beasts, you artistic ogres, and all the elves that Santa refused to hire. My name is Chad Hall, and this is the podcast dedicated to creativity, also known as Random Badassery. And with me, as always, is my co-host and friend, Lam Wen. Hello, everybody. And today we have a very special guest with us because this is our first, yes, our number one interview podcast. We've been promising this for probably over a year. Now we're finally delivering. And with us today is our friend, Drew Roulette. Hello, y'all. Drew, do you want to tell everybody who you are, what you do, and what's important to you in life? Sure. Um... My name is Drew Roulette. I live in San Jose, California. I consider myself a visual artist and a musician and um, an ideas man, I guess. And things that are important to me in life are the usual family, friends, food, and my cat. And the cat's name is? Cat's name is Atomicus, named after a famous Salvador Dali picture, where I think it was one of the first times they were able to capture motion photography and like him jumping and painting and they're throwing cats through the air. It's called the Dali Atomicus. I know exactly which one you mean. Yep, same. Do you happen to have a shortened nickname for the cat or do you call him Atomicus like every time? Um, yeah, I, I came to start calling him Tommy, you know, kind of like Tom, Tommy. Uh. And then I... Recently gave him a middle name, uh, Tauntaun, so it's Tommy Tauntaun. (laughs) (laughs) Got to throw in that Star Wars reference, right? (laughs) Perfect. And for those of you listening who do not know Drew Roulette personally, Drew is the designer of our logo for the show. So you have seen his work already. That's actually where I wanted to start today, Drew. Awesome. I I know this process, and Lamb knows how this process went, but... um, when you're doing something like what you did for us, what is, what's that like for you? I mean, how did you put this logo together and what was in your mind? Right. You know, that's great. You brought that up. I wanted to talk about that as well. I, uh, I got a bunch of notes in my book here from, from a meeting that Chad and I had. Uh, maybe that was like two years ago now that I think about it, huh? But uh, I went and met Chad at the coffee shop just to sit down and chat with him about um, just some possible, you know, themes or, or or inspirations for the logo, and, you know, he gave me a series of, of words or phrases, along with Lamb, um, helped, helped give me some of those as well, and if I look at my notes here, uh, number one, hammer, number two, Russian flag, number three, spray-painted rat on wall, number four, bow and arrow, number five, bullet, and I think we started there, and I kind of just, you know, I took those those words and phrases and kind of just racked them through my brain for, for a week or two and then just started sketching out some stuff. And, um, you know, I, uh, I was really inspired by this image, this Russian flag image of a bear holding, I don't think he's holding actually, oh, he's holding a spear maybe and a shield. But I kind of tweaked that a little bit and then I decided to throw in a pocket knife in the logo because I just thought, you know, it was like a jack-of-all-trade kind of tools thing. Um, I figured you guys would be talking a lot about a lot of different subjects. And and so I just thought that was a great, like, piece of imagery for it as well. And, and you know, the bear's just standing there with this huge pocket knife, and he's just such a beast that um, 
I thought I really defined the random badasser. And also, if I remember correctly, there were six or seven different versions that you did. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, I think I, uh, a couple different bears, and I think I had a couple different wolves in there as well. And, um, and a bird. Yeah, a bird, and they, they each had like maybe different pocket knives, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, I like to do that, too, when, I, when I'm designing a logo for somebody or something. I, You know, I like to like get the full spectrum in there. So I'll start with an idea or get inspired by something, but then I'll, I'll kind of stick to that theme, but, but kind of, you know, put little tweaks on it so I can have a series of, of examples to show, you know? So that way I, I feel like you can really pinpoint down with the client, like which, you know, which direction they like rather than just talking about it. They can like visualize it and say, Oh, I like this from that one, not from that one kind of thing. So. You know, it's really strange is I think, um, Initially, um, the pod the podcast had a very particular feel to it, but I think over time we've actually evolved into your logo much more than we were when we were at the onset. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting that how you know, especially with how Chad and I began with this whole process, um, we didn't know that we were going to focus on creativity, um, but it kind of just evolved into that. So the logo kind of we we it was kind of like a bear that was guiding us in a certain direction without us knowing it. Huh. That's great. That's great. Our totem. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for for a lot of people out there who only listen to the show on, in a podcast app, they don't follow us on any social media or anything. I mean, that image is the only image that they have to associate with us. Right. So that's pretty powerful. Um, how much, just out of curiosity, how much work do you do graphic design work creatively for clients as opposed to how much you do with um, actual acrylic paint? Um, paintings on canvases and from tiny, tiny, tiny to big canvases. Right. Yeah. What's that ratio for you? Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, like the last five or so years, I, I've been mostly just doing commission work. I haven't really sat down and painted something like for my own personal enjoyment in, in a long time, which is great. I'm not, you know, it, it's nice to have, a, you know, some work lined up, but as opposed to like logos for clients, um, maybe I get like 30%. You know, I do a lot of logos for bands or I'll do like um, artwork for bands, logos for podcasts, things like that. So maybe that's like a 30% and then the rest is a lot of commission pieces, which, you know, are, are available through my website or, or just people will hit me up personally with an idea about something and, and we'll, we'll walk through the process together and create something for them. Is there a difference in how you treat the the creative process when it comes to your personal work versus, um, you know, like if you're going into a client meeting, obviously they it's more of a collaborative effort where you're working with their ideas and, and you have a certain sequence of things that you ask them in order to achieve that. But when you're going into your own personal work, like if you're creating a piece, like, you know, I've been to quite a few of your shows, whether it's, you know, seeing things gallery or like Empire 7 or something like that, where there's a certain feel to the pieces, do you end up asking yourself the same questions before you produce a piece? Right, yeah, I think when it's when it comes to like creating stuff for my own personal um enjoyment, like I think I'd take more risks, you know. I I I believe that kind of artists are meant to like go out on a limb, you know, and to try things that they've never done before and when I'm creating for my own personal reasons, I I tend to do that a lot more. Um as opposed to working with clients or, or like on a commission piece, they usually give me a theme or or an idea, so you know, I kind of have to 
stick in the realm of that. But when it's just creating for personal reasons, yeah, I, I really enjoy just taking chances and kind of just um, experimenting with new ideas. You know? Yeah. And for everybody listening, I would encourage you when you're listening to this episode to either go to Drew's website or to his Instagram and look at his artwork so that you can kind of see visually um, what we're talking about here. It'll enrich your listening experience. Drew, you want to tell them your URL and your uh, Instagram username? Yeah, it's just uh, drewroulette.com. And my Instagram is drewroulette as well. All one word, right? Yeah, just all one word. Um, actually, one of the things I'm very curious about is the transition that you made from being, from my perception, obviously, I'd, um, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, um, from being more of a full-time musician to being more of a full-time artist, what that transition was like for you. And maybe explain to everybody um, your musical past. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, as as far as art goes, I've I've been sketching and painting ever since I was a little kid. I remember my mom always telling me I couldn't go anywhere without like a, a notepad, a sketch pad, you know, we'd go over to a friend's house or cousins and I'd just be in the corner kind of like sketching things. And I began like making board games kind of at an early age where I would like, you know, put a twist on Monopoly or, or, or create some golf game or something, you know? So I've always like, I've always been around art and I've always been creating paintings, watercolors, drawing, like mostly in that medium. But um, it wasn't until high school I met uh, some friends and we started a band called Dredge, which we went on to, you know, we've been a band for 20 years. We've been putting out six records. Um, and, you know, I kind of took a step back during that time with all my art, even though I did create some art for the band. I did some of the artwork for some of the albums. And stuff, but I I just didn't concentrate on it as much as I do now. So while we toured, I did a thing um, where we'd have a raffle every night for a different painting. So I was painting on the road, but they were like small paintings. Um, so yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, the the band stopped touring so much, and I started, you know, I jumped in just to the art, the art world, I guess you can call it, and. And it felt great. I think like the difference between being in a band and painting on my own is just the obvious. It's not having to, you know, not having the opinions of others kind of influence your work. And I've, though I do enjoy both aspects, working with other people and working by myself, I think that being able to create something all on my own is a lot more rewarding to me. And I've had a really wonderful times these last five years just you know i've painted hundreds of paintings these last couple years and just like really concentrate on honing my craft and um, i don't know i think there are a lot of aspects that are kind of similar to to playing music you know you're creating something out of nothing and using maybe the same you know the same parts of your brain but um it's all pretty rewarding when it when it comes to just being creative do you feel like there's a difference? Um, yeah, I, I guess a better question to ask would be, do you feel like you're going to miss collaborating in a group at some point and go back to that? Like, does if, what I'm basically asking is, does the reward kind of flip flop depending what you do, on what you do more of? Um, 
Like, you know, if you're recording uh, in a band for a while, you get kind of sick of that. So you do some solo stuff and then you do some solo stuff for a while, but then you miss collaborating with other people and you want to jump back into that. Right. Definitely. I think like, you know, as most things in life, it's like a circle, you know, I think, I think you stray too far away from something, you know, you start heading back to it. Um, You know, and with that being said, I definitely miss creating with other people. I, I mean, I have, like, I do play music with some other friends or I have like collaborated on some artwork with some friends and that's always super enjoyable because you learn so much more you know in that kind of atmosphere because I feel like peers push you you know inspire you in ways that you went on your own but you know I eventually you know um speaking back on dredge we're in the midst of beginning to start to write another record so i will jump back into that world eventually so i'm excited you know I, what i was thinking about when you're talking about um the differences between the two and you the, the artwork that you did for dredge like for example the booklet that you did for um the pariah what was it like having both of those worlds intersect at the same exact point was that a strange experience it's cool you know i, I did most of that so i did like a bunch of preliminary sketches for that and then actually our friend Roner Segnitz, who um, plays in a band called Division Day, put you know put the album together, kind of like designed the layout. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to that medium and and playing playing music w- with people, and then also being involved in the in the artwork of the record, I, I find it le- I found it less enjoyable over the years because when I wasn't creating the artwork for the band, I was able to you know, step outside and kind of, you know, look at it unbiased. And I think that's important. So anyways, like later in the years, I, 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 um, I would, I'd rather have somebody else kind of create the art for the band at least, but. So that you could kind of focus on the vision for the music versus trying to do too much. Right. And I think like, you know, I don't know. I, I felt like I would rather, give my opinion on like a cover for instance or something like that like from a completely unbiased stance you know and that, and that was easier for me because then I can have a discussion with the other guys about how I felt with it you know if it wasn't my own so you don't feel the same attachment to it as you would as if it was something easier you'd created it yeah exactly you know what's funny about that is um you know I I it's funny because I've seen you after Dredge shows, um, and I've seen you at gallery shows, and it seems like you have two very different personas. Um, in the sense that you know, when you're at a when, at, like after a Dredge show, you seem like you're kind of an uncle um, that's saying thank you for you know people coming out to see his 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 his, his nephew or something like that. Versus um, you know, the last time I saw you, I think it was at um, Seeing Things Gallery in San Jose. There was definitely more a sense of um, almost enthusiastic pride that you had about the work because it was purely yours. Right. Um, and there was an excitement that you had to it that was different. I mean, it's not to say that one is better than the other. It's just to say that the feelings are definitely very, very different. Do you actually feel that difference too as well? Yeah, that's that's interesting you put it like that. Um, I think so. I think like, you know, coming off the stage from playing music, I'm I'm extremely thankful. and you know, in this, in the gallery setting, I think I'm, yeah, I'm a little more, um, 
reserved maybe. And, uh, but I do have a, you know, I do boast more pride in, in, uh, in the gallery setting, I think, cause, cause you're right. It is strictly my own creation. And, but that also at the same time makes me more vulnerable. So, so that's probably also what you're reading. Like, are yeah, that's actually an interesting thing I wanted to ask you about is which makes you more nervous, um, you know, going to your own gallery show or playing a show for the, or playing a show in a city you don't know, for example, for the first time. Oh, right. Yeah, definitely the gallery setting. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's just from all the years of playing it, I kind of got numb to it. You know, in the beginning, I I was definitely nervous about getting on stage, but towards the end, um, it was just second nature to me. You know, I just, I think the gallery setting and showing my own personal work is is a lot more stressful and and a lot more important to me. I I think I, yeah, I have more of a serious persona in in that world. Yeah. And I imagine there's got to be a strange difference in uh, the feedback, I guess you would say, uh, in the sense that, you know, when you play a show, you have people cheering and moving and sweating and yeah. uh, enthusiastic about what you're, hopefully enthusiastic about what you're doing. But, you know, when you're at home and you're painting and you finish a painting, there's nobody there to um, applaud your achievement. And is is that a weird um contradiction almost i don't know that's funny it made me think of like if, if you were to put on an art show at a gallery kind of like like uh like a concert where you bring out the first painting and then you reveal it and like, yeah, 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 cheers and then, and then you like bring out the next painting and <laughs> that'd be pretty funny but um yeah it's i mean man it's just two different worlds you know it, it's crazy i i forgot what that would be that <laughs> I imagine that, I mean, like you said, it's, it's not anything that's ever happened in, um, in a gallery setting that people are, are cheering and dancing. But I imagine that like you, you went into it with some amount of prep because we all know that that's what it is. But do you ever feel, uh, try to word this correctly. At least when you first started, um, doing the band less, did you ever feel the absence of that, um, I guess of that attention. Hmm. I I don't know. I don't think so. I've never been. I've never been one who who like purposely seeked out attention. I, I think it's like just part of my personality. Like I I didn't. I never even wanted to be in a band. You know. <laughs> I kind of just like <laughs> met up with, with these other guys, and they needed a bass player, so I started playing bass. And you know, of course, we never thought it would turn into a career. And you know, I don't know. I I, I think. Um, it is a different feeling, but I, I definitely don't, I don't miss, you know, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't really miss the attention. I don't like the attention. I'm more of a shy person, probably. Hmm. Well, I mean, when you're, when you're working on, because I know for some of the shows, like, um, um, some of the gallery shows that you've done, like the ones you've done with like Carl, Colin or Carlos, where there's kind of a running theme between your pieces um, versus, you know, when you guys are sitting down to write a record for Dredge. Um, you know, there's definitely collaboration, but it's a different, it, it's a different type of collaboration. Um, which, I mean, is there a different energy to those? Is there a different, is there a different space that you work in or, or, or do you find the collaborative process really similar between the two different environments? Uh, the environment of just collaborating or just working um, by myself is what you're asking. Yeah. Because, because I mean, you know, when you're, when you're doing, 
dredge songs i mean you guys are probably sitting in a room working in a studio and you guys have your moments separately of course but you know you guys have to get together to 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 put the songs together um versus where like i remember um what, what was it debrouillet i believe the the first one that you carlos and colin did together yeah, exactly. um there was like you guys would you guys wouldn't really see each other that much you know like you guys would 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 you guys decided on a theme and then just kind of went on your own paths and then got together yeah. and put the show together. So, you know, one is one is an environment in which you're around your collaborators all the time. And another is an environment where you kind of throw the idea out to your collaborators and then you, you touch base every so often, but you come together at the very end and you've got pieces that are complete, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wish during that Dave Bruyere process, we, we, we were more involved with each other. I think, I think in the end it turned out great. And I think, you know, there was definitely a, a general theme that kind of encompassed the whole show, but I think it'd be great to, to experience with something like that where you do have put on a, a gallery show with somebody and maybe you do create all the pieces together in a room or something. I, I wonder really if that would, you know, be able to tell. That would be an interesting experiment. I think that should be uh, your next show, man. That'd be fun. <laughs> and to clarify for the audience, uh, Carlos is Carlos Agrio, and uh, Colin is Colin Frangicetto. Um, and the la- I don't know if this is the last show. The last show that I remember you did with Colin, you guys actually did a painting together, correct? Yeah, we did. We, there was uh, the title was Hippocampus Wallpaper. So we um, we had that show down at Empire Seven Studios in San Jose. I think that was two and a half years ago now. And the idea was to have put out a newspaper that kind of you know went along with the show and then each title of the painting had had, had their own separate article in the newspaper. So in theory, you could walk around the gallery and look at the painting while you read the story about it. So um, then we decided with that show to create a collaborate, you know, to collaborate on a piece called Hippocampus Wallpaper. Speaking of Empire 7, you're doing Instagram takeover for them this week? Yeah, yeah, they reached out to me last week, and they, you know, since they're moving galleries, they're trying to find a new location. They're trying to, you know, remain relevant at, at the same time. So they're they're starting to do these, um, you know, just like media takeovers with all their artists. Cool. And that's uh, for the listeners at Empire the Number Seven and Studios. How long are you taking that over, Drew? I don't know. I just asked him today. I mean, he said a week, so. Probably, probably until like next next week, So I have a question specifically about about bass. I mean, it's it sounds like when it comes to your approach to to playing bass, you kind of it was kind of more of a utility thing because it's what the band needed at the time. Um, do you think you would have picked something else if headed to, if you, if you had a choice to to just start from scratch? What instrument do you think you would play? Uh, great question. Man. I think, uh, man, I've always been attracted to drums, and you know, in the last like decade, I, I've been learning to play drums. I've taken some drum lessons and stuff, and it's definitely my favorite instrument. I think because you don't have to be so musically inclined when you play it. You know, it's not like you're producing scales or or chords or anything. It's more just a, a rhythm thing. So I really, really enjoy the drums. But but you're right with the bass it's like I, I would always try to find like a medium between the rhythm and the melody and so it was like a tool in that sense and and i i would always like 
thought it was extremely important to know when not to play. And I know a lot of bass players say that same thing, but I think it's so true that, um, I mean, unless you're like Les Claypool or someone, I think the bass should have a foundation, you know, and, and it like a subtle foundation that kind of like moves the subconscious of the body, you know, and it, but it, but it finds that, that perfect meaning between the rhythm and the melody. Hmm. And speaking of chosen mediums, I guess is a way to say it. Um, what drew you to acrylics in, in the painting? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, for the most part, just because they dry so fast. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I painted with, I painted with oils before. I, I've done a lot of oil paintings in high school and college and stuff, but I think just the vibrancy of the acrylics and how, how fast they dry. I, I think like I'm, you know, I'm very prolific. I put out so much work that like I need it to just like get dry and be done with it and move on kind of thing. So I actually have a, a lot of artists use a uh, air dryer on acrylic. So, you know, I'll paint a couple of things and I'll, I'll bust it, I'll bust out the hair dryer and, and dry that paint really fast. Like, so, so what you're saying is acrylics are in the art medium world is the basis of mediums. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that figures you're you're doing acrylics because you're a bassist. <laughs> Those are the two tricks I learned from you: or is using the hair dryer to dry it, and then putting the paint in the fridge to keep it wet. Oh yeah, I wanted to bring that up. I, I remember I told you about that. I, I, I don't know how I discovered that. I, I don't even know if other people do that, but I do this thing where, you know, I I, I put all my acrylic paints on on paper plates, and then I. I use two of them because it also makes sense when I tell you. But um, at night, when I'm about to go to bed or when I want to put my paints away, I'll put that paper plate in the refrigerator on top of a stack of paper towels. And then I will pour, you know, like a fourth of a cup of water on top of it. And throughout the night, that water will soak in the paper plate. And it also, like, will dampen paper towel so it'll keep the paper plate really moist and when you pick it up like in the morning it's like really flimsy it's basically like a wet paper towel and that water will stay in the paper plate most of the day and it kind of like you know it brings the paints like back alive from the bottom up and it really like makes the paint last a long time and like creates like a wet kind of a wet like substance for you to paint with all day. It's like a really cool trick for any guy out there who's painting with acrylic paint. You know, it's really weird. Um, I remember four years ago, somewhere around that, I don't remember the time exactly, but the last time I played poker at your house, I remember opening your fridge to get a beer and seeing that and thinking, huh, what, I wonder what the heck's going on there. But since I was at your house, I kind of just figured, eh, whatever. So now I totally understand how and what that is. That's he lives great. and breathes painting. He also eats it. <laughs> yeah. No, I figured it's Drew's house. So, you know, strange things are just all over Drew's house. So I figured that was one of the lesser strange things. So I didn't even question it at the time. <laughs> Which reminds me, what did you used to have in the butter tray on the door? Oh, I still have it. Just a Barbie doll. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the Barbie doll. Holy yeah. cow. You just I can't believe that just popped into my head. That I haven't. I, I think I saw that. When we were filming the limousines video. Oh, that's right. That's right. Jeez. 
Wait, Chad, do you, you use that trick, the paper plate trick? Yeah, I do. Whenever awesome. I actually sit my butt down to paint, that is. That's awesome. I'm the slowest painter in the world. <laughs> hmm. I have a painting that's sitting in front of me that I've been, and it's been a work in progress for like five months. Thank you, Microsoft. Ugh, jeez, hold on. Let me see if I can figure that out. Sorry. <laughs> That was just for emphasis for everyone listening. Hey, while we're at it, why don't we throw some drums in here for them? <laughs> that is like the worst, uh, <laughs> the worst drums. Ever. It's the fakest drums of all time. Yeah, it's the it's the fakest thing I've ever heard. It's amazing. <laughs> um, actually, you know, going back to to Colin, I, I've actually I've heard Colin interviewed multiple times on um, podcasts. And something he almost always mentions is you. And um, I think if I'm going to put the pieces together, what you mentioned earlier about the, the giveaway while you were on tour, was that while you were on tour with him? Yeah. Um, you know, and I can't remember what year that was. We took Circus Survive on their first or second uh, U.S. tour ever. And I was doing those raffles at the time. I'd, I'd done them before and after, but um, during that time it was, you know, when I was producing a lot of them, I think we were on the road a lot at that time. But um, yeah, I, and I think you know, Colin's always been a painter, but um, when we're on the road, you know, I don't think he's expressing himself as much in that way. And I just remember him like every night being so stoked on the raffle and like trying to win it and everything. <laughs> <laughs> He contributes that that experience to uh, a lot of the motivation for him to go more full time into being an artist. That's right. That's yeah, cool. that's great. And I, I think Colin has has produced a lot of amazing work over, over the years. And I'm, I'm really, I really get a kick out of just watching him grow and produce stuff. And he's doing such a great job. Of how long ago, how how long ago was that tour? Yeah, it was for a Catch Without Arms record, so it must have been like 2006. Jeez. There's no doubt that one day we will have Colin in the same seat that you're in right now on this show. Oh, for sure. Um, There's even a vague possibility that it might be in the same seat because he might be at Drew's house. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I I have to know. Please explain the Barbie doll. I got to (laughs) know. Man, I, that's weird. I, I was filming this thing for Dredge uh, back in like uh, 2001 or something, and it was like we had this, this guy, American McGee, make one of our, our videos. And you know, American McGee, he's like a video game designer. He's like, called like Alice and oh, Alice, I think, way back in the day. It was like a darker Alice in Wonderland. But, uh, we hired him to, to make a video for our same old road video. And there was this character that he used in it who we named Walter, and he's like the animation guy of the stop motion video. And, um, and after the video, I got to keep him. So I had him around at my house, and I was kind of filming some behind the scenes stuff for some dredge stuff we were doing. And then I was like, man, I had this car that, that he could fit in. And I was like, that'd be great if I could film this guy like cruising around in the car. I'm like, man, he needs a babe, you know? So I, I went to Toys uh, R Us and picked up a Barbie doll and filmed this little scene where him and the Barbie doll are cruising. I 
somehow she just ended up in the fridge and, and she hasn't left for 10 years. <laughs> That's crazy that that Barbie doll's been in your fridge for almost a decade. Um, going, I want to go back for a, min- a minute to where we, where we started when you mentioned, actually where you started as well. You talked about making your own versions of board games. Do you think that there's a connection between that and what you're doing now, which is um, modifying baseball cards? Oh, right. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I'm always trying to find like a mashup of something or, or, or a twist on something. I think with any new idea, it's just a mashup of two already existing ideas, you know? But you just have to find the right, find the right balance between the two cool ideas. And so I've kind of I've done that throughout my life a lot, but I, yeah, you know, I, I would, I think as a kid, I would be inspired by these board games, but I'd, I had this urge to create, and I, I don't think I was developed enough to kind of start from scratch and make my own, so I would, you know, put my twist on an already established game. But, like, nowadays, you know, you see a lot of artists, like, putting twists on stuff, like, I mean, Banksy, that guy's whole career is kind of a twist on, on reality, right, or, or, um, you guys modifying like a lot of like Mickey Mouse turned psychedelic or something, right? Right. Yeah. I saw this film called uh, called No No, I think, and it was about Doc Ellis, who was a pitcher for the Pirates in the eighties, and he pitched a no hitter on LSD. And I just <laughs> thought it was such an intriguing story. I mean, I I, I define my art as, as whimsical trans psychedelia. Which that word trans psychedelia is kind of a made up word, but it's kind of like, you know, whimsical and playful and playfully quaint or something. And um, of course, trans comes from transcends, which means to go beyond, and psychedelia, which is music, art, or any culture that's based on you know, the experience produced by psychedelic drug. So anything that's like psychedelic, I'm just so inspired by. So when I saw that film about Nona, between no hitter on LSD, I, I just I couldn't believe it. And I, and I think that it was that night I was like, man, it'd be great to like do a painting about this. And then somehow I can't remember. I just got this idea to like paint on the actual baseball card. So that opened up, you know, more doors because since since then I painted on the OJ Simpson card. I think I titled it O.J. Simpson of a Bitch. <laughs> Drum. Drum. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then the latest one I did was Jose Can Say Cocaine. Um, so I think I'm just going to keep going it to see where, where this leads me. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Are those are those on your Instagram? Yeah. Okay. I haven't, I didn't and they're for sale on my website, too. Gotcha. Um, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, our Neil Gaiman episode, Lamb. Uh-huh. The idea of a grain. What he talks about the grain, just a little grain of an idea, and then using that to roll into something. Do you feel like that that is something you relate to um, continually? Um, you're talking about like the mashup idea. Just uh, finding one small little thing, and instead of you know like waiting for it to build into something else, just taking that small thing and letting that grain, he's, I think he describes it as a grain that rubs you and it keeps rubbing you. And then you, you build something from that grain. 
you know, for him, it was the misspelling of uh, of the name Caroline. The whole idea of Coraline came from that one little grain. Interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's like the same idea as like making a mistake, right? In your art and and then looking back on it like it's like a beautiful mistake. Like, like wow, I didn't mean to do that, but that just opened up a whole different world, yeah. Kind of like that. Um, I don't remember which Led Zeppelin song it is, but there's that uh, one song in the solo, Jimmy Page hits the wrong note. And instead of redoing it, he just kept hitting the wrong note wow. until it became the right note. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Actually, that, that kind of goes to, to the next question I wanted to ask you, Drew. So, so there's kind of, at least for me as an outside observer, there's kind of a running theme in your work, not necessarily in the work itself, but kind of in the attitude of it. And I wanted to, to you know, the first, I don't know why I've never asked you before, so I might as well ask you now. Um, is, there's almost like a childish sense of rebellion in almost everything that you do. Like you, you take something that was meant to be a certain way and you make it, make it your own, um, without following the rules that, that are dictated by that thing. Like with the board games thing, for example, you know what I mean? Um, has that always kind of been like a, a running theme in how you approach art? Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess it has. I, I like to r- ruffle feathers a little bit, you know, and I, Looking back on my life, like, I, yeah, I think, you know, I was a, a prankster in high school, kind of, and I, I just think I like to, yeah, ruffle feathers. So it's always, it's definitely theme throughout, throughout my work. It, it's even showed up in, in the band a lot. I mean, I think, you know, with the music that I created, I think I was always trying to look for other ideas outside of the music, you know, and I, that's why we started creating concept records and things like that, because just having a whole other element to an already established element, I kind of, you know, I think it just strengthens the whole idea. But the thing that kind of fascinates me about it um, is that the, the it's never malicious in a weird kind of way. There's always just a sense of childish mischievousness to it, you know what I mean? Um, In the sense that it never feels like you're trying to hurt anybody, but you're just trying to poke fun of things that people expect to be a certain way. Yeah, I think, you know, the last five years I've been writing a lot of, like, jokes and and comedy, just just for my own personal reason. (laughs) Really? (laughs) But, I mean, it kind of makes sense when you look at my my whole series of work, especially with my my paintings, because they're always, like, puns or plays on words, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of my comedy is just bad. It'll just be, like, plays on words. And um, and, and, I, and that that just started transferring over into my art. I I get so excited at the idea of, of making people laugh, you know, in, in like, a quirky way. So, but I, but I, at the same time, I like, you know, I think, like, I usually come up with an idea in the, in the juxtaposition of humor and spirituality. So whatever the content is, it, it has a humorous side, but it... It also makes you, you know, ponder your existence, maybe, or something. It's but, weird because when I look at your work, it, 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 I get the sense that like there's two things going on. The first thing is that you're trying to knock them off balance, and then the second thing is once you have them off balance, then you show them something new. Huh. That's great, and that that's that's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> you have succeeded. No, but you're so right, though. I mean, it, my, all all my stuff is quirky, and it's like, yeah, it's it's 
it's not serious. I, don't, I, I stopped wanting to create like serious art a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and by serious in that term, you mean boring art. <laughs> because yeah, some people were just born punks and they were meant to stay punks forever, man. That's just who you are. <laughs> right. I mean, that punk rock mentality, I mean, I think a lot of that came from the band too. It was just like, why do you know? It's like, we used to share rehearsal spaces with other bands and they'd have all their chords like like nicely on the wall and their, their pedal pedals like tucked away and it's just like I think we just create a, a punk rock mentality. It was just like whatever, you know, let's just create something, and not worry about all the little you know, aspects of it. Sure. All the courtesies and rules and <laughs> right. regulations. Um actually I wanna to touch back on you mentioned briefly the idea of spirituality and something that we've talked about a few times on this show uh, is meditation. Um, do you practice any form of meditation? Uh, in a sense, I've been doing Vikram or hot yoga for, for a decade now. And I think that's, that's my meditation. I, I've learned a lot about myself and, and patience um, through, through that practice. You know? So yoga is my meditation for sure. And do you feel that's influenced your artwork? Yeah, definitely. I, um, you know, a lot of the things that go along with yoga, you know, the chakras or like Eastern philosophy, a lot of that stuff can be found in my artwork. I, I, I constantly find inspiration in, in, in other cultures and, and especially all the stuff surrounding the yoga culture just because it, you know, it mostly... Um, points towards that spirituality that we're talking And has it a- affected your approach to art as well? Like, not just the subject matter of what you're, you're doing, but the way in which you approach the process? I, th- I think when it comes down to, like, execution, probably, because I've, you know, I've, I've gained a lot of patience over the years and, and enabled this to sit down, I mean, I paint from anywhere between four to 12 hours a day almost, you know, besides the days where I, I don't get to do anything at all. But if, if I'm just sitting at home doing nothing but painting all day, and I think like, you know, the, the patience that has to come along with that or, or the ability to, to, you know, have that stamina to sit there all day in that position and work on something and just zone out, um, it comes from a lot like the yoga practice. Yeah. yeah, I guess that runs along it because Chad and I were talking uh, about this for the last couple of episodes uh, on the podcast. Um, you know, there are certain certain artists that create certain spaces where they feel um, inspired or, or safe or creative or whatever it may be, whatever feeling it is that feels most like you. Like with me, for example, um, you know, I have to create a space that feels slightly panicked. Um, or a little urgent because that's just what my personality is. Um, so do you, you know, when you're creating music, I, I understand it's probably a different environment than when you're creating art, but what kind of environments do you create for yourself? Like you just, do you, do you set up a room a certain way? Do you listen to certain types of music? Do you, you know, um, drink a certain thing or eat a certain thing or anything like that that gets you quote unquote into the mood? You know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely. I'm the type of person that, you know, I have to like, vacuum my rug before I start painting, you know, like everything has to be in its right place before I can actually sit down. And I, you know, I definitely have a process when it comes to that, but, um, 
I have to, you know, I have to have a clean environment, I think, because I, I can't be distracted by anything. You know, I, I have to get all my chores done before I, I dive into my art, I think. Nice. So get, this, yeah, I mean, I, so, so get yeah, the stuff I, you have to do out of the way so you can do what you want to do. Right. And then, you know, I just paint at home. I have a little corner of my room where I have my easel and all my books and things that inspire me, like all my notes behind me of, of, of potential ideas for paintings and stuff. But I'll sit there and, I, you know, if I'm, I'll, I'll listen to pod, podcasts, I'll listen to music or I'll watch television shows or films and, and I'll just sit there and paint all day. But yeah, I usually have to have some form of uh, entertainment going while, while I'm doing artwork. What about for music? What kind of environment do you create for that? Uh, yeah, so it's hard to say because it usually just depends on where our rehearsal studio is. You know, like right now we have a spot out in Fremont in these um, old storage units turned into, turned into practice spaces. And it's it's pretty it's pretty run down actually. It's not that inspiring. But I think with that environment we're more able to like focus on on why we're there. You know, I think if there were more distractions or if we were in a environment with a hot tub or, or a <laughs> bar or something, we might be easily distracted. You guys would never get any writing done. <laughs> Seriously. When was the last Dredge album? Uh, 2011. So six years. Does it does it feel a little strange to get back together after six years? Not, not at all for me. I, I've been itching for a while now. We're kind of just waiting for everybody to get on the same page. I'm really excited. I you know I haven't been as excited about making music in a long time, and I think that's natural. I think like the same thing goes with art. It's like Chad, you talked about how you have a painting sitting there waiting to finish it's like i think that that break you know t- stepping back taking time away from from your art is so important you know i think like yep. it, it's it's so important to come back into the creative process with, with new insight and like a fresh mind that uh that initiates growth you know um so i think you know coming back into the art with new experiences mm-hmm. is, is extremely valuable it's funny you yes. say that because that's something that uh, I kind of wanted to bring up I, I, in the podcast that Chad and I just had, actually, or the episode we just had, which is um, creating different artistic spaces for yourself so you can kind of take vacations from one or the other. Um, and I think, you know, the older you get or the more artwork you do, like with me, for example, it's it's music, photography, and writing. And I rarely do all three at the same time. Um, like I'll do two out of the three or one out of three, but rarely all three. Like I took a break from photography for four years and, you know, for most of my friends, like when you think of me, you think of my, me with my camera somewhere, you know what I mean? Um, but very few people didn't, you know, realize that I didn't do that for a solid two years straight. So I, I think that the point you bring up is pretty good, a very good one, which is, um, knowing how to create different or doing using artistic mediums to kind of create breaks for yourself from one medium to another. Yeah. I think it's important to, I think it like builds, builds your passion for it. You know, like it's like, it's like a long distance relationship or something. It's like when you're away for so long, you just get this urge. It's just boiling inside of you to finally get to it. And then when you finally get back to it and kind of explode. Yeah. And do you find that, when you're when you're taking breaks, because I'm assuming that to some degree, your your mind is um, 
is focused on whatever you're whatever else you're doing instead of that thing whatever that uh to be more specific and less confusing let me word this differently when you're focusing on art and you're not focusing on music for a couple of years going back to the music there are lessons are there lessons that you've found um you don't have to give specifics if you don't if you can't think of any but lessons that you learned from doing art that are things that you're bringing into your experience with music and then, or vice versa? Wow. Yeah. I don't know how to answer that. When it comes from going from the art to the music, that's a hard question. You can think about it. And if you have an answer, you can come back to it. You don't have to stew on it right this second. Um, But I would like to, one thing that we like to do on this show is, um, get into specifics of tools. So are there any specific tools um, for either or both um, mediums that you recommend to people? Yeah, we talked about the, um, the hair dryer and the paper plate thing. I think those are great tools when it comes to, to uh, making acrylics. Um, I think, you know, I think the idea for me um, is the tool, you know? I think for me the most important thing is is the idea. So, um, Can you elaborate on that a little more? What's that? Can you elaborate on that a little more? Yeah. Um, you know, I, the first thing I do is I start with the idea in my head and then I let it sit sit for a couple days um, and then you know I, I walk that idea down different paths and kind of let it, let it interact with other maybe fleeting ideas to see if, if they can develop a relationship or something and I'll do this until I get really excited by the idea and um, then I'll start the process but I as in tool you know as in saying that the idea is a tool I think that content of the message maybe is is the most important tool for me because I think that with art um, I think it should say something it doesn't have to say something important but I think there is some kind of some kind of tool in, in, in developing or, or um, sparking a conversation with the viewer, you know, it's like it is not important to understand art, but it's to engage with it, you know, to, to develop an understanding of your own relationship with the art, you know, like we do with film or music or something. It, it's that aspect of the art that that's so important to me, and I think that's the most important tool for me when it comes to like creating creating visual art. It almost sounds like you're talking about an idea itself as the thing, almost like a giant Velcro ball that you roll around in your head and see what it sticks to other things. Right. It, it's totally like that. And I, yeah, I've, I've found myself so many times just, you know, painting something for somebody where they give me a word or a phrase to be inspired by. And, and I just don't like the initial idea of it until I, I do roll it around inside my brain and it, find it sticks to other things that start to excite me. And then in the end, maybe it's not, you know, the first 
idea that we started with, but now it's a, it's just a more evolved idea. Something I can I can be excited about. Yeah. And I think like something we've talked about probably more times than anything on here is the idea of accepting um, that failure is a part of creation. Yeah. Um, and talk a little bit about like that walking process. You know, obviously all these ideas that you're you're you get excited about don't always necessarily work out. Um, what's your what's your manner of thinking about that and dealing with um, with failure or disappointment? Yeah, I mean, it reminds you, you know, you're talking about Zeppelin hitting that wrong note. And I, I mentioned earlier, like, that as artists, we're supposed to go out on a limb, you know, because that's where the exciting things happen in the fringe, you know? Like, if you just get, you know, if you get in a rut, referencing your last podcast, if you get stuck in that rut, you know, I mean, you're never going to, you're never going to get out of there. It's comfortable. And, it's, you're never going to be forced to to look at anything else. So it's with those mistakes, or it's with those those risks that that you find you find new avenues to to, to go down, and and that's where you um, that's where you see yourself. You know, it's almost like you see your subconscious shining through. It, it, like I didn't plan on that, but there it is, and I really like it. It was a mistake, but now I'm going to name my kid after it. You know, kind of kind of mentality. <laughs> Are there are there times actually where you, within the moment of creating something, like you 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 feel like you've done the same thing be, before, like let's say for example you're you're creating a piece of artwork, um, like a visual piece of artwork, and you feel like you've done it before, and because of that feeling, you kind of just blow it up and start all over again, like you're almost trying to force yourself to do something different. Yeah. Um... I've, I've, I've come down that before. Like I, and I comes to mind, uh, is an owl. Like I've had a couple of different people want me to make them owls. Right. And I'm like, well, how do I do this owl different than the last owl I did? And that's not just like, okay, one's a full owl. Maybe this next one, I'll just do the head of an owl. But it, it, it's constantly trying to, trying to find new ways to showcase that owl in, in a different light or, or something. Right. And, um, that's challenging, but but that's that's where you evolve as an artist. It's 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 when it's when people keep giving you these same ideas, but you have to come up with new ways to, to show them. Yeah, that's why the reason I asked the question is because you know you like Carlos are just prolific. You guys are just working all the time on your artwork, um, and so there there are moments where I don't I because I know for me, for example, like there are reasons why like sometimes I'll step away from. Um, like even if I'm in my writing phase, for example, I'll just focus on poetry or on prose or on novellas or whatever, whatever thing it is. But once I feel like I've I've been doing it too much, um, it goes back to a thing that 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 um, Chad actually said in the last podcast, which is um, you feel like you're writing the same sentence over and over again. Um, I feel like there's there's a sense of that with the artwork too, where you kind of get sick of yourself and you want to step outside of yourself and do something that feels different than what you would normally do. Yeah. Like, how often do you get that feeling? Like, I mean, I know that you, you know, you paint so prolifically that I imagine there are times where you get into rhythms. How do you break that rhythm? And is breaking that rhythm really important? Yeah, I think it's really important. I, you know, I just recently broke that rhythm the other day. Some some guy hired me for commission, but he said he didn't like, he doesn't, he liked my darker stuff that I did a decade ago. He doesn't, he doesn't like the new, like, 
what did he say? He called it, um, uh, oh, like New, New Mexican art or something. I forget how he, <laughs> how he phrased it, but I was like trying to figure out what he meant by that. I think he just meant by like the vibrant colors and, oh, Southwest style. So it, that's what he said. I don't like your Southwest style that you've been doing recently. I, I, I assume he means just the vibrant colors and like the rainbows and stuff like that. So it's like, all right, well, how am I going to create this piece with this guy who likes my more darker imagery? But that's like, that's stepping backwards in a sense, but, but it's stepping backwards with my new skills. So I'm creating something that, that is different than my older pieces, but uh, you know, he forced me to like, not just attack it. Like I always do. I, I really had to like think about the composition and, and the interview before I... No, that's interesting because usually when it comes to client-based work, clients want to want you to stay in, in, in the space that, that you are now. So that's yeah. interesting that you actually had a client who said, nah, I don't really like your new stuff. I want your old stuff. Yeah. And I, yeah, at first <laughs> I, was like, I was like, hey, man, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> but I like it now. You know, he, he's making me create this piece that you know I, I wouldn't have otherwise, and I'm, I'm really digging it. Yeah, Chad and I were talking in the in the last episode um, that we did about um, criticism and how sometimes pissing people off is the best thing you can do for them. Right. And I think that guy just un un you know uh, unintentionally did that to you. You know, like in that moment, I'm sure you were probably like, "Oh, what? Wait a minute!" You know, I yeah. I kind of like the stuff I'm doing, but then when you have a chance to take a step back, you're like, "You know what? That he's right. Like taking taking a fresh look at my old stuff might be a good idea." Oh, totally. You know, I, I really appreciate you guys talking about that in the last episode. I, it made me miss the uh, the days of the critique in, in my art classes. You know, just I think that that was a great thing to do at the end of a project when everybody hang up their pieces and everybody critique it. I, you only learn from those experiences. That's one of the. I don't know if either of you have read the book Creativity Inc., um, yeah. written by Ed Catmull, the guy who started Pixar. It is the practice that they most attribute to their success is um, when they're in the phases of doing a film, they all go into the auditorium and they watch the rough cut of the film or whatever. And in that space, everyone has to be 100% honest and everyone has to be 100% accepting of any criticism that comes in. That's, well, that's, that's pretty brutal. That's why <laughs> they produce the best films and that's, that's probably what has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I feel like the, the the you know Chad and I have talked about this a little bit too, and I I, I feel like artists, um, especially in this day and age, I don't know if it's me being an, an old guy and just thinking this about young artists, but I feel like artists are extraordinarily protective of their art these days, and I think a lot of that is because they were never um, put in the same environments that we were with criticism, maybe because of how how society's treating criticism like that now, you know. Um, I feel like there there's definitely a, a place for, for artists where where you need that harsh criticism. You need people to tell you the truth. Um because only in knowing what you don't do well will you get better. Right. Yeah, it's like what was that movie uh recently with the Saturday Night Live guy where he like turns into a rock star but, but everybody just like pampers him his whole life and tells him he's so good when when he's really not, you know? It's like that'll get you nowhere. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, who who do you think? That's that's actually a good question uh, that I was kind of meaning to ask you at some point too, even before this podcast. Which is, who do you think's been the the the, the two things actually? The first person, the, the first thing is who's the person who has most 
inspired you who you personally know um and who's the person that's given you the hardest kick in the ass about your artwork specifically oh wow um that I, it's fine that i know um hmm. i mean you know i bring up colin colin francesetto he he inspires me on so many levels you know with his all his creativity in every aspect and his his humbleness and his attentiveness i think i think colin is, is it's been a great peer in my life, um, but I don't. I don't think I get enough criticism. I, I wish I got more. I, I think. Um, I think it's so important. I, you know, with the music, it was when I was making music, writing songs. The criticism comes at full speed, right away. You know, I think that's in collaborating with other musicians and writing a song or something. You're, you're getting that criticism right away. It's like, no, I don't like that part. It's, try this or let's try that you know so that was a difficult but but really educational process i think maybe you know the other my other three peers in dredge have been the most critical of of my music making that is i don't get enough criticism of my art i wish they did in a sense there's there's almost like a i don't know it's tough because you know it's it's and and this is why you know Chad and I kind of brought that up in a sense is that like when you ask your friends, um, there's almost a sense of politeness, um, yeah. in in the sense that like even if they don't like something about your artwork, artwork they'll focus on whatever positive thing because they think that's what you want to hear. Um, and the tough part is what what friends don't understand, or at least artistic friend people who aren't inherently artistic in the medium that you you're currently in like you know if we're talking about acrylics for example um it's 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 that they feel like they they want to give you positivity and have you move forward with that and don't get me wrong that's a very useful thing to have um but i think people are scared to give criticism because they're afraid that it's going to hurt you um not understanding that the most useful thing an artist can probably ever get is criticism How do you how do you see the difference um, or experience the difference in criticism from the the type of criticism that we're talking about, which is um, criticism of friends or peers, um, with the purpose of helping you to be better in whatever way that they think that you could be better, as opposed to the criticism, for example, when you were in the band, if um, you receive criticism on the music that you've put out from the general public or from critics. What was the question again? Sorry. How do you see the difference in those two criticism styles um, or or experience the difference? Yeah, I think like it goes along with with social media and the internet. People online will give you, will critique your work with a harshness, you know, that that I can respect sometimes if they're not just being rational rational bully or something. But, um, we experienced that a lot with Dredge, where we put out some music that, that somebody didn't like, and then they would feel free to you know, maybe post on our Facebook or something about how they didn't like that. Um, which I, I think is very productive, and I, and I like how people do that. I like, I, you know, it's just the same thing as with your friends. It's like, I, I wish there were more, more honesty floating around, and 
that honesty doesn't have to be insulting, you know, it, it, it's educational. And, I, and, it, and if it's coming from a good place, it'll make you stronger, you know? So, and, and that comes, I, be, I believe, with the confidence, right, in, in, in your own abilities and in that you're doing what you want to do, correct? Right. Um, speaking of, uh, we mentioned earlier younger, um, younger artists, and we were also talking about the idea of uh, repetition. But there's also, I noticed a, a trend recently, actually, um, a very talented artist that I follow on Instagram put up kind of a collage of five different pieces that she's done. And she was bemoaning the fact that she doesn't have a quote unquote style. Um, what are your thoughts on that for like, for, you know, artists out there that are just starting out listening to this show that are concerned with this idea that they don't have a style? Yeah, that's, I think style is important. I think, I think in order to stand out or, or be viewed as, as maybe innovative, I think you have to kind of develop a, a new new style. I, I don't think that's something as an artist you should concentrate on in the beginning. I think in the beginning it's more about execution and, and just pointing your skills and producing work. I think you, you will find your style along the way, as I have. I, I think like you'll notice themes and things that you like doing in your painting paintings or your, your creations and they'll start to show up more and then looking back on it you will say okay that is my style that, that has been developing I, I think you'll eventually get there i think the important thing in the beginning is just like you know, like i said just do some produce and produce and your style will eventually get there i think you get away as an artist without having a style it, it you know i don't think it's necessarily important but Depends on what your goal is. I think if you're just creating art for the corporate world, you know, I don't think you really need a style. I often say that style is like a stew of theft and imitation. You think that's a, that there's some truth to that? You know, that all the things that you copy will eventually become a small nugget of who you become as an artist. Oh, definitely, man. I could I could go through all my paintings with you and tell you. Where you know where I was inspired and who was I, I was inspired by each little object. It's definitely like a amalgamation of of everything I've I've ever experienced in life. I think you know as a visual artist, I'll see something and and say, "Wow, that is really cool." How can I take that and twist it and make it my own? All right, I'm asking I'm asking a a current question that's a. Uh more on what you're doing now. So so here's what I want to know. What are you what are you listening to right now music wise? Oh wow. Um Man, what's that? That guy um this one song I've been in love with this song man. I, I can't stop listening. I listen to it over and over again all day. <laughs> His name's Michael Kiwanuka. Um and his song the song's called Cold Little Heart. And he did a, a live session video um, on Vivo. And, Memorial uh, Day, save it. And it's like a 12-minute 12, 12, 12 long song. But I've been listening to that nonstop. But also, you know, I've told a lot of my friends about this too, and I, I know a lot of people are doing this as well, but 
that Spotify Discover Weekly. If you guys are familiar with that, um, it's a thing on Spotify where every week they'll give you two hours of, of music they think that you would like, and that, that is using algorithms of, of what you've listened to you know, in the past. And I, I'm just constantly being introduced to new music that I just fall in love with. And I, and I haven't had that feeling since I was in high school. I mean, since I would like go to Tower Records and pick out CDs and bring them home and, and learn about them. Like, I, I feel like a kid again with this Discover Weekly. And they're just constantly like throwing new music that I would never hear of at me. And, and it's just amazing stuff. That experience is something I really miss. That yeah, right? Coming home with that new album, I used to lay down on the bed and yeah. I'd pull out the booklet and I'd read the lyrics to every song while I listened to it for the first time. That's so rad. And it was it was actually disappointing when I would buy an album that didn't have lyrics in it. Yeah, yeah. It's even more disappointing when the lyrics kind of suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favorite though was um was the experience of uh was it Kid A or OK Computer? I think it was Kid A. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I was bummed that there was no lyrics in it and then Eric Victorino and I were at coffee one day and he goes, no, there's lyrics in there. I'm like, no, I've seen the booklet. And he goes into, we were sitting outside of a Barnes and Noble at the time. He went inside, he bought the CD, came outside and ripped out the CD tray and showed me the hidden lyric booklet underneath the CD tray. Yeah, that was really cool. That blew my mind. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny when that happens. I mean, you, I remember... Um, yeah, this was this was on our Bjork episode too. Like one of the reasons why I liked Bjork so much was because I would just I would do what you're describing, which is just sit there and go through the songs and, and read the lyrics. Um and I, I'm a pretty big Muse fan as well. I get I think more specifically I'm a Matt Bellamy fan. But I feel like I like him slightly less because his lyrics are never really that good. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. There's there's something to be said for that. I mean, I guess I guess if you're an artist yourself or if you're you're a creative person, you you respect craftsmanship regardless of what medium it's in. Um and I feel like with with a band, I feel like, you know, with 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 Muse for example, I mean, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I feel like the lyrics are kind of throwaway in the sense that they're not, they're not nearly as 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 important as the musicianship, which I respect, you know, they're Matt Bellamy's a pretty amazing musician, but um I wish there were more to him. And I guess that's just my own personal my own personal um, desire as an artist to to want depth in things that may or may not need depth. Sometimes you just want to you know dive into a pit and start smashing people. But you know I, I want them to mean I want all art to mean something, and sometimes it doesn't have to mean something if it makes you feel something. I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, I look for that depth as well. I think with Matt Bell, Matt Bellamy, like, all this everything lately has been so like apocalyptic. You know, it's like yeah, <laughs> it's like the world's gonna end tomorrow. Yeah, it's like his themes back in the the record, the earlier records, were more personal or, or something, and he's lost a little bit of that. Over yeah, I feel like I feel like it's way less personal now. I feel like he's talking to a crowd instead of talking to me, and I feel like that's part of the reason why I don't like it anymore. Um, going back to the idea of people who inspire you, you said people that you know, but for the listeners out there, how about uh, people that they've heard of? You know, people that. Um, artists before you that inspired you. Yeah, I mean, you know, the classics. I always bring up Van Gogh and Salvador Dali. I, those are my two favorite artists. Kind of grew up in awe of them. Um, definitely shaped 
shaped a lot of my, my thinking over the years. There's a book by Salvador Dali called The Secret Life of Salvador Dali. And, and that book changed my life for, for a lot of like surrealist re- reasons. Um, a lot of great stories about him growing up in there. Another guy, Alex Gray, who, you know, he were familiar with him through the tool artwork. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet him a couple times and, and he's got a book that he released. Uh, usually only find it on the internet called uh, the mission of art. That book had a strong influence on. Well, you know, it's funny. Drew is a guest on the show and he just pulled one of the things that we do all the time, which is answering a question before the other person has a chance to answer it or ask it. That oh, was yeah. the next question was, was for you to give me, give us some books. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, right I, now I'm reading the marshmallow test. You guys know that book? No. Like why, why self-control is the engine of success. If you guys are familiar with the marshmallow test, they ran on kids back at Stanford yeah. in the eighties. They would put a marshmallow in front of them and then leave the room. And they said, if you waited and didn't eat that marshmallow, when I get back, I'll give you two. And they filmed these kids like while they were outside of the room. And it just, it, you know, and then they follow these kids throughout their lives. And just the correlation of the ones that didn't take the marshmallow are way more successful in life. And I don't know, it kind of just breaks it down, the, the whole test and everything. So that, that's really interesting. And Huh, yeah, you answered you just answered another one of my questions uh before I had a chance to ask it, which is what's the weirdest thing you think that's influenced you that that wouldn't that people wouldn't expect um as an artist? You know what I mean? Like is that is that one of the stranger things or is there something even weirder than that? Like something people would just not expect. Hmm. No, you know, people might expect this, but I'm really, really uh, into like treasure hunting and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> no, I would have never guessed that. There's, there's a new show called Cooper's Treasure. Um, Sky Cooper was one of the first seven astronauts. And while he was up in space, they, they said he was using this technology. They, they were searching for, for nuclear weapons. Um, this is back at the height of the Cold, the Cold War. And... But they're also, they say he was also using technology to photograph what was beneath the sea's surface. So he discovered all these, like, sunken ships. And then, like, the rest of his life went on to, like, you know, just, just seek out this, this buried treasure. So that, that stuff really intrigues me. There's a guy called Longmont Potion Castle. Are you guys familiar with him? No. He's, a, he's a, like, a prank caller, but less like the Jerky Boys and more like Neil Hamburger. But he, he's been around since the 80s, and you can just find his stuff on YouTube. Longmo- Longmont Ocean Castle is his name, and he does prank calls to people, but he uses, like, effects on his voice. He'll have, like, a delay machine and stuff, and it is some of the most entertaining stuff I've ever heard. I'll just play that all day long and just laugh, laugh funny. <laughs> <That's well. laughs> also, I'm, I'm really been really inspired by this game called Set. You guys know this card game called Set? Mm-hmm. It's just like uh, the family game of visual perception. And it's just, it's a series of um, sets. You have to like locate, it's almost like memory, but they're using three different shapes and three different colors and three different shading. And you have to like create these sets and you play against another person. And it's kind of like a race to find the sets. 
but it's like won all these awards and it's it's truly a fascinating game. Huh. How do you find this stuff? Man? Where do you find <laughs> Almost the same question. The yeah, same pretty, much, pretty much the same question, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just friends, I, I guess. You know, somebody will show up like, oh, have you ever played this? Like, no, oh, I love it. Just peers, usually. Yeah, I mean, I, I've learned, you know, I've you guys have turned me on to some, some things through your podcast that I, I, I never would have known about. So, peers and friends. Hmm. What, what, so what's next for you, man? Like, I mean, is, is you know, you're you're going back into the studio with Dredge. I mean, when do you guys ex- when do you guys expect to to have the record done, or or is there not even a time frame on it? You're just going to do it, and when it's done, it's done. Yeah, I think right now we're you know um, we're writing throughout till the end of the year, and probably you know all the way till spring. Hopefully, you release it next summer, next fall. But I think we'll start start touring like maybe spring next year. or something. Mm, okay. What about the artwork? Other than the the the, the takeover of Empire Seven's uh, Instagram. Yeah, I mean, it's still just you know just getting through my commission list, um, and then you know I've been working down at uh, Ross, the downtown San Jose. There's an old Ross clothing building that they've turned into artist um, living spaces. So there's twelve artists down there. Each 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 one has their own space. And anybody can go down there at any time during the day. They also like put on shows. They have they have yoga classes or body painting or or they'll put on music shows. But I've been working down there a lot. I've been working on this really large piece down there. Um, I don't know. I think it's just you know keep keep doing these commissions, just keep painting, and see where it leads me. I'm also working on this book, visual kind of like book titled um, "There Was an Old Lady Who Smoked Some Pot." <laughs> so I'm hoping to, hoping to get that out by next year. <laughs> Solid. Well, Drew, it has been uh, our pleasure to have you on. Not only just to have you on the show, but to have you as our first guest. Oh, I'm um, because guys. thank you so much. You have been here since before the show existed. <laughs> it's true. I knew that I wanted you to design the artwork before we even knew what the show was called. That's awesome, <laughs> uh, Lamb. Any more questions? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of want, you know, it's it's something that you and I do, Chad, um, at the end of our episodes, which is kind of leaving leaving the the artists out there with with something that that they can chew on and digest and take with them. So I guess I, I'll make it easier for you, Drew, and not just kind of ask you for words of inspiration. But let me let me ask you this. Um, you know, along the, the lines of, of, of what we talked about earlier, you know, there, there are times where artists just get stuck in ruts um, and, and they just get, they just, you know, they're repeating themselves or they feel like they're getting bored with their own stuff. Um, so if you were to give advice to a young artist who is getting in a rut for the first time, um, you know, they had, you know, they've, art thus far for them has been new and exciting and fun. And they finally gotten to the point where they're boring themselves. What do they do to get themselves out of it? I truly think it's life experience. I think, you know, take a break from, from what you're doing. You know, go somewhere, go experience something like travel somewhere if you can, or, or, or just go out to a cafe. I think I, you know, maybe link up with a friend or, or somebody who, who could show you something new. 
I just think with, with every inspiration, with every new idea, it's just, you know, it was inspired by, by somebody showing you something that you've never seen before. It's so valuable to just go out and experience life. And I think that that'll help you grow as a human and as an artist, you know? And, and if you feel like you're stuck in a rut, you know, it's creativity lies not in the done, but in the doing, you know? So if you feel stuck, just, I don't know, change courses and work on something else for a while. And, and eventually, you know, it'll come back to you and, and you'll, you'll be re-inspired. Oh!